Episode 18 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Alright, welcome to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm Eric Vreeland, and today I'm here with Adam Liebman, part of the founding team and SVP of sales at Single Platform. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, very exciting. Um, I guess just for the listeners who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Sure, yeah. So uh, I, I actually went to the University of Missouri to study broadcast journalism and quickly decided after ESPN was not, you know, blowing up my cell phone saying, come anchor Sports Center with us, uh, to look for something else. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I clicked on a Facebook ad and it took me to the silly landing page for a little startup. Uh, that startup was Yext. Uh, so I started my career there out of school uh, as the eighth employee, fourth salesperson. And that's where I really learned how to sell, selling to small businesses of all kinds. Started with uh, gyms and then quickly moved to television repair and then chiropractors, uh, auto repair, podiatry, optometry, just every kind of small business you could think of. And then I took over as director of sales development, helped grow that team from about 20 to 95. Uh, and then I met a guy named Wiley Cirilli, who was the CEO and sole founder of Single Platform. And basically Wiley told me that if I could figure out how to sell single platforms product over the phone, he would build the company and the team around me. Uh, I was 24 years old. I thought, oh my gosh, this seems like a ridiculously amazing opportunity. So I jumped at it. Uh, Spent the next nine months as a VP of sales of one. Went through a bunch of different business models, trying to figure things out, figured things out, started hiring, saw the company through a successful acquisition by Constant Contact about two and a half years ago stayed on board through the acquisition, kept growing the team. And when I left, which was about uh, five months ago now, the uh, beginning of October 2014, uh, we had a 100-person sales organization. So it was an absolutely exciting ride. We got to use all sorts of different tactics and methods to sell to small businesses. And I think we came out of it, or we have come out of it, with with a really great solution. Awesome. Uh, I think a lot of our startups are also struggling to find that perfect sales pitch and that that perfect cadence. Um, Can you talk about how you tested the different sales pitches and how you came up with that final one? How do you know when you're done? Are you ever, are you ever done? Sure. So, so it's a, it's a really good question, right? And one of the things that's so interesting is I, I don't think you're ever done. I think until every single phone call you make or every single email you send turns into that sale, that's the great thing. There's always room for improvement. So we like to think of our sales process as kind of a living, breathing pitch, a living, breathing document. And what might surprise some people uh, who are listening to this podcast, our sales pitch at Single Platform was actually verbatim. So every single word you said was scripted out. And our most successful salespeople, we have one person in particular, her name's Jen Berger. She's phenomenal. Does literally three to four X what a normal salesperson does. And she still has that script in front of her, that verbatim script. 
reading through it, it's there kind of as a security blanket. And you know, one of the things that's so great about inside sales, about high velocity transactional SMB sales is you have all these tools that you can use that would be really awkward if you were presenting face to face. So if I go into a big pitch meeting, sure, I might have a PowerPoint, but I certainly can't stand there with verbatim note cards or a prepared written out script. That would look really weird. Um, when you're on the phone with someone, you can have as many tools in front of you as you want. You can have two screens and one has their Facebook page and the other one has the Salesforce info. You can have your printed out script. You can have your objection handbook nearby. You can have your manager listening in with, with no one the wiser. So, um, you know, there were a lot of tools that we were able to take advantage of. So what we did from the jump was we tried to script it as close as we could. And then what we did in the evaluation process is we tried to isolate things where we thought there could be room for improvement. And one of the things I learned early on was I remember the uh, first pitch I did with Wiley and he's giving me all this feedback, pretending to be a restaurant and I don't make the sale. It doesn't go very well. And we go in afterwards and uh, I'm like, okay, I want to change this, 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 and that. And I want to add these three things and take out these four things. And what he taught me right then and there, and, and I think this was such an instrumental part of how we were able to evolve the sales pitch from that moment on, you can't change everything at once. Because if I made those 18 corrections, 15 of them could be spectacular. But if the other three were so bad or so detrimental that it torpedoed the sale, I would think that all 18 didn't really go hand in hand with, with success. And that's not accurate. So um, what we were able to do is start slowly but surely systematically kind of tweaking things throughout the process. Now in the very beginning, you're hiring this person as your you know, VP of sales, or your first sales hire because you do trust their gut and you trust their instincts. But we made sure to kind of go through a, a pretty standard process each time we would make that change. It's uh, just subjective of yeah. the Wiley, whether he said, you know, you, you try this out, you make a small tweak, and then you try it again. And he just basically says, this one seems like it would work more. Yeah, because we would know how a small business would react. And he would just catch me in a way that I was writing it out, thinking that I could get through this. But no, actually, they're going to ask that question and it makes sense. And then the feedback process then went to calling actual businesses. And one of the most helpful things I ever did was in the beginning, just stopping when it wasn't going well and telling the person on the other end of the phone, hey, listen, like I'm not trying to sell you. Um, I would really just like some feedback. Like, does this idea even make sense? And I was able to get so many valuable insights on things that were working, things that weren't. Because if they said, listen, the idea doesn't even make sense. Like, I don't know why I would want this. Well, it doesn't even matter then what happens after I'm trying to explain the problem because they don't even see it as a problem. Yep. So you have to kind of start from the beginning and work your way through. But I'm a huge fan of really scripting that process as much as you can because when it comes down to it, that's the tricky part. What do I say? How do I say it? If you ask people to come up with a couple bullet points or you tell them why something is good, they're all going to have an answer for that. But when push comes to shove and they need to articulate that to someone else, that's where things get tricky and that's where I think VPs of sales can have such a tremendous impact. And would you guys get so granular that you're looking at maybe one specific word and and whether it's that word or a synonym of that word? Yeah, so I think um, a lot of it, you know, you start from intent and the psychology of sales. I'm a big believer in positive psychology. I'm a big believer in trying to position things as desire for gain as opposed to fear of loss when you're getting into the mind of the decision maker that you're dealing with. But you're absolutely getting as granular as singular word choice because saying, um, you know, is there any reason you want to do this is very different than, I mean, this all makes sense. You want to do this, right? Like just mm -hmm. slanting those questions, they're asking the same thing, but in one way you're psychologically affecting the response by 
hoping that they'll agree with you. And you always want to put people in a position where they can say yes. And when they say that yes, it's good for you. So you have to be careful that the questions you're asking are driving towards those yeses. So your um, scripts are written for a particular persona. Um, did you have multiple scripts for multiple personas? Or let's say you, you, know, you have some small business owners who are very familiar with technology and then you have other small business owners who have no idea what's going on. Do you have one script for both of them or how do you deal with that? So we tried to have one size fits all approach and then what we did was uh, there was a term we coined called thinking dynamically. And when I say thinking dynamically, a lot of people think that successful salespeople are able to think on their feet. I really hate that term because it sounds like you're pulling things out of thin air and that's not what salespeople do. What salespeople do is they have 100% of the information. And to make the sale, you never need to share 100% of the information. You need to share, let's call it, 25% of the information with everyone, and then there's 5% that's variable depending on how sophisticated the decision maker is, how much they know about technology, how they interact with social media, whether they're a fine dining restaurant or a takeout place, like all those sorts of things. And I call that thinking dynamically because you have all the tools at your disposal. You're just thinking in the moment dynamically, which pieces of information should I pull out? So the overwhelming core, I would say like 85% of the things that we said to any sort of business were the same, but then there was that 15% that we would tailor based on the person we were speaking with. And do you think, was it easier to close someone who was on the less sophisticated side or someone that was on the more sophisticated side? It was easier to close someone who recognized the value and that desire for gain mentality as opposed to fear of loss. They saw how listing their menu online would be beneficial because no one else was doing it as opposed to not wasting the money because no one else was doing it and sticking with the status quo in hopes that nothing would change. So anytime you're dealing with a decision maker, technologically sophisticated or not, if they understand the value and they're excited about the prospect of changing things in order to be better, that's always gonna be the type of decision maker who we have the most success with. And what uh, order of mag magnitude are we talking about the changes being? And what was your starting close rate? And like how, what's the effect of these changes gonna have on that close rate? Yeah, so you know, it depends on the industry, it depends on who you're selling to, it depends on your starting point, but I would say we were going anywhere from, let's call it like 25 to 35% in the beginning uh, of demos held to sales made. And at the end, we were probably, or when I left rather, uh, we were close to 50%. I mean, consistently above 40 um, and between 40 and 50%. And that's, you know, significant gains going from 25 to 40 is like a 60% closing improvement. So that's gonna affect your bottom line. And when you're looking at an underperforming salesperson, what are uh, some other aspects of their of the sales process that you look at to determine kind of where they're messing up? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's funny because you can't just look at that bottom number, how many out of 100 leads does this person close? Because, well, you might have two salespeople sitting next to each other who close one out of every 100. The reason that they close that one could be very different and how to, coach them and how to help them improve could be very different. And this is something I see in, in companies all the time and some of the feedback that I give is you wanna break up your sales funnel into as many uh, distinct stages as you can where accomplishing a certain task uh, materially moves the percentage likelihood of closing uh, up, right, or down. So for example, at Single Platform, the first thing we had to do was schedule a meeting with the decision maker, right? So you're gonna look at how many calls does it take for someone to schedule a meeting. For one person, it might be one out of every 10. For another person, it might be one out of every 20. For another person, it might be one out of five. Then you're gonna look at 
out of the meetings that they schedule, how many of those meetings do they actually hold? Small businesses are notoriously flaky. We know we're not gonna have 100% hold rate. Maybe the person who's scheduling one out of 10 holds 50%. Mm -hmm. So you know when they make 20 calls, they hold one meeting. Maybe the person who schedules one out of five only does it at uh, 25%. So they make 25, uh, excuse me, 20 calls and they only hold one meeting as well. But I'm gonna focus on that first person. We're gonna focus on, hey, when you're making that cold call, let's focus on how you schedule that meeting. Whereas with the second person who's you know scheduling one out of every five, but only holding 25%, I'm gonna focus on, hey, when we're scheduling that, let's make sure it's a really sticky meeting. Let's triple confirm the time or something of that nature. So that's just a really small example of how breaking it up into those funnels, you might have the same end result, yeah. but the middle journey there, one person is you know, making a left turn at Poughkeepsie, one person is making a right turn at Albuquerque, they both end up in New York at the same time, but they got there in two different ways. So you're gonna wanna coach those people in different fashions. And you guys are using Salesforce for all of this analysis? We're using Salesforce for all and this And logging analysis. everything? Yeah. Yep. And how often do you go through and, and look at a salesperson's funnel and kind of reevaluate how they're pitching and where their weaknesses might be? I mean, my goodness, at single platform, sales managers are required to listen to every salesperson on their team for at least an hour every single week. And they're putting together the numbers on a daily and weekly basis, monthly basis, looking at trends, looking at how relative performance to their team, looking at the averages on the sales floor. Um, you know, there's so many different ways to slice the data and obviously you don't want to get lost in it. What we found to be very effective at single platform was just pretty much a baseline of averages where we knew we wanted certain metrics to be. And for us, that was a 10% um, decision maker reached uh, rate. That was a 50% hold rate, so 10% schedule rate, 50% hold rate from those scheduled meetings, and then a 40% closing rate from those held meetings. Mm -hmm. um, that, negate, uh, that, that equated to what we call our net sales percentage, and that would be that very bottom number. So we could evaluate people on a, you know, an apples to apples metric as well, but we were breaking up everything in each part of the funnel and then constantly having our sales managers look at that so that they could develop the best, most effective coaching plan for each one of their reps. Awesome. Did you have to have some like a sales ops person come and help you guys with this, or how? Like, so I, I know a lot of sales managers who probably you know just wouldn't know how to use the software and get that sophisticated with it. Right. So a lot of the stuff is knowing what questions to ask. It's not necessarily how to run the report. Yeah. Um, once you set that up, that part's kind of easy. That's just manipulating a technological system, and those were things that I was able to do. Um, the tricky part is what questions are you asking, right? It's like, should I be looking at schedule rate? Should I be looking at held rate? Should I be looking at a combination? What are my valuable data points and what are not? Because you can take a bunch of data, but if you don't know how to analyze or interpret it, it doesn't really mean anything. So one of the things I would change, to be honest, uh, at Single Platform is we would have hired a sales ops person earlier. Mm -hmm. As it was, it took us quite some time to find someone. What, um, what, uh, how many salespeople do you think it's valuable to bring that person in? I would say 20 you're gonna be able to start driving insights. The Basically, those responsibilities fell to me at that point. Yeah. And so up until we had about 50 sales reps, we didn't find a sales ops guy. Mm -hmm. um, but he was able to come in and just streamline a lot of processes, make it more efficient, ask some other trickier questions that required a little bit more of a nuanced analysis. Um, but again, don't sell yourself short with just very yeah. basic Salesforce skills, you can drive a lot of valuable insights. I guess another um, problem that I've seen crop up every once in a while are just, it's the difficulty of getting salespeople to put in the data that you need to collect. Yes. How did you enforce that? How did you get people to do that? So we enforce that. I think that you see this more in enterprise sales and transactional sales. 
Um, you want to design something where the salesperson feels like by entering in this information or by adhering to whatever rules you're asking them to play, play by, uh, they are putting themselves in a better chance to make the sale, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that was the way that we looked at it. And we actually got pretty good at automatically populating certain fields. Um, and then we just did a really good job at communicating the value of, hey, notating what date you held the meeting with someone is going to put you in a stronger position when you call back to remember exactly when and where that meeting took place. Um, you know, ultimately, if that's not, if you're asking people to notate stuff and to fill in fields that aren't helping them close the sale, I would challenge you and say, why? Mm -hmm. Why do you need that data if it doesn't help drive towards the end goal, which is making sales? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, kind of on a similar note, the differences between enterprise and SME, what do you think is a quality um, that a lot of enterprise sales people could learn from, from someone who's experienced in SME sales like yourself? Yeah, so you know, I, I work with enterprise sales organizations as well, and typically the number one piece of feedback that I give is don't be afraid to get on the phone. Um, enterprise sellers, especially in this day and age, and especially with the sales automation tools that are out there, there's somewhat of a belief that you can send a lot of emails, you can have a really strong SDR team, you can plug in some things to Salesforce, you can create drip campaigns and marketing automation, and the sales will, you'll, you'll get those interested prospects right in front of your face. Um, it's not always that easy, especially in the beginning when you're really on that grind trying to figure things out. And what can be most effective is just picking up the phone and calling the person you wanna speak with. It's a lot harder to ignore someone who's called you 30 times than it is to ignore someone who's emailed you 30 times. And there is this distaste for getting on the phone that gets kind of a telemarkety, salesy feel, and it's a dirty word. But in all honesty, I've been a part of and helped build two extremely successful, high volume calling transactional sales organizations. And we've done it through a lot of brute force. You ring, 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 knock down these people's doors, and eventually they're willing to talk to you because they're just curious what could be so compelling that you're willing to keep on calling them. And you probably um, hired some people or fired some people who didn't perform with you selling an SMB product, but then went on to be very successful in the enterprise. And I'm sure it happens vice versa. Someone who might not have been so successful selling an enterprise comes in and just kicks ass. Yeah. For you guys. So, so what, what, like, I guess what qualities, um, you know, what characteristics make that difference? Sure. So I think the number one thing that any salesperson needs, whether it's uh, enterprise, SMB, huge, small, whatever you want to call it, um, is internal motivation. And that was the number one thing that we looked for. Um, we've seen a ton of success with the early crop of single platform salespeople going on into higher, higher level sales, more upstream, higher ACVs, things like that. Um, and I think a lot of it is because when you can get in the trenches and you can do what I would call one of the most grindy, most difficult jobs, you're calling, 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 getting rejected, rejected, rejected. Once you do that, all of a sudden, if you know how to effectively communicate, when you move upstream, what ends up happening is you start dealing with more rational decision makers. And so whenever you can deal with a more rational decision maker, the odds that they'll listen to you and have an intelligent conversation increase. And from when you start in a situation where you're dealing with these irrational decision makers who hang up on you for no reason at all, who don't listen to anything you have to say, who want to stay put in their ways simply because they're too scared of making any sort of change, not because they've weighed the pros and cons, moving into an arena where someone will thoughtfully weigh what you have to say, 
that is a huge step up. So we've seen a lot of success from that. Yep. And we have seen success from people who just couldn't cut the grind, but are effective communicators once they got someone on the phone. And those are people who have also gone on to be very successful enterprise sellers as well. Awesome. Um, I guess, so we also had Brian Mikowski on an earlier episode. Sure, my, my mentor, my man. Um, and he gave us, I'm, I'm interested in comparing your answers to this. What do you look okay. for um, in your ideal sales hire? Yeah, so um, the again, the number one thing is internal motivation, yep. right? Because I'm a big believer, there's a phrase that I love to tell people, um, you cannot motivate another person. And what, what's a proxy for it? Because what question, either what questions do you ask or... What previous experiences in, in their life trigger that in your head that yes. you go, this person's internally motivated? Right. So, so you can't motivate people. You can only create an environment where a motivated person can succeed. And one of the ways that we would kind of screen for that is, you know, it starts honestly looking at the resume. Is this someone who had a job in college? Were they involved in extracurricular activities? Did they push themselves to do things outside of kind of the minimum required? Do they want to skate by or are they always going to give it their all? That's something that comes from, in, you know, within. Um, so that was, that's a big piece of it. And then just asking people about times they failed. One of the questions that we like to hypothesize or you know ask this theoretical, I guess, hypothetical, whatever you want to call it. Um, who's your favorite artist or band? They say, let's say they say Justin Bieber. Okay, so you follow up and you ask them this question. You say, all right, you have two tickets to a Justin Bieber concert. Uh, you've been really excited all day. It's an outdoor arena. Um, and then it starts pouring rain. Just the most torrential downpour you've ever seen. No lightning, no thunder, so they decide that the concert's going to go on. Justin Bieber's covered under the, on the mm -hmm. stage, but what are you going to do? And what you're looking for there is someone who's like, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go. Yeah. This is, I, Justin Bieber, I love Justin Bieber, right? So, uh, you know, it's a silly example, but there will be people who say, ah, you know, I'll probably just reschedule. I can still listen to a CD. Maybe I'll have like a Justin Bieber party at home instead. That's an acceptable answer, but that's not someone who's internally motivated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like my Macklemore. Sure, there you go, <laughs> absolutely. All right, um, and I guess kind of riffing off of that, what are your what are your, your favorite or your two favorite questions to ask these guys? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of uh, Would You Rathers. Reason being, I think they, uh, again, when you're hiring entry-level salespeople, we can't really necessarily ask them a ton of behavioral-based questions. When you were in your last role selling, what was it yeah. like with, you know, there's no experience there. So what, I, what I'm looking for is that thinking dynamically, right? So the question, sell me this pen, I hate that question. It doesn't make sense to me because this person you're sitting across from, they're not a pen salesman. They're not supposed to know how to sell a pen. And more importantly, I can teach them how to sell a pen. Can't teach them to be excited or articulate and things like that. So I try to figure out a way that I can get them to think dynamically. So we'll ask them questions like, make the argument for me that salt is better than pepper or pepper is better than salt. Uh, make the argument for me that summer is better than winter or winter is better than summer. Cats are better than dogs or dogs are better than cats. And whatever it is, it's a topic that they should understand, right? We yeah. all know about dogs and cats <laughs> and seasons. Um, and then they can just kind of speak to that. And you're looking, if uh, hopefully I can get this right here. Uh, what we try to evaluate people on is four things, right? So first you have the... Um, the speed at which they answer. So I've asked people, make the argument for me that salt is better than pepper or pepper is better than salt. And they will sit there for a solid eight to 10 seconds, either silent or, ooh. I remember I was asked one time uh, what my favorite animal was. Okay. And because I was so quick to just say elephant and why, and I explained why elephant was my favorite answer. 
Apparently, that's not very common. Right. People hem and hot. Oh, salt or pepper. Uh, pepper is definitely better than salt. Oh, no, no, no. You know what? Salt is better than pepper. So do they make a decision? Do they stick to it? Yeah. Right. Because that's what you need to do in sales. Then you have uh, the quality of the, their answer, right? So what are the words that they're actually saying? Then you have, uh, do they deliver it in a really positive way? Um, and then I think the last thing that you're looking for uh, is, is basically once they give you that answer, are they able to tie the whole thing together? Is it, are they going to volunteer more information? Are they gonna sit there and wait to be prompted? Or are they gonna just kind of plow forward like you did and say, Hey, elephant, and here's why without being asked. Yep. Okay. Um, kind of, you've made these hires. Let's say you've hired these first uh, 10 people and you're giving them your top tips and tricks and you're explaining to them kind of how to get someone on the phone, how to get them not to hang up and actually listen to you. What's your opening line? Yeah. So honestly, uh, can I speak with Dave, mm -hmm. right? Like that's all the opening line is. So that's not a very compelling opening line, but at the same time, it's the most compelling opening line because sales is about differentiation. And the more you sound like a salesperson, the less likely you are to make the sale. So if I'm just a normal person calling you, I'm gonna say, hey, can I talk to Eric? Yep. And that's gonna be most likely to get me through. If I start off and I'm like, hi, my name is Adam Liebman, and I'm calling because I have a great offer for Eric today. Like that's never gonna get you on the phone. Yep. So that's the that's what we try to teach people. We try to give people, we like to say we're not selling anything. We're just sharing facts and allowing people to come to the logical, rational conclusion to buy. Okay, and now taking that and moving it to email. What's your way to get responded to uh, via email? Yeah, so email is interesting. You know, for us, we never really got into the whole email game. SMBs don't use it that much, particularly, you know, single platform started out as a product for restaurants and they're just notoriously not tech savvy and don't really respond to emails very well. So we would try to stay away from that as much as we could. Um, you know, there's so much value in that phone call. If you email someone, there's a lot of context that they're going to infer that you don't get to control. Then they hear, hey, this is Adam, and they know who they Adam know, is. Oh, God, this is the guy, the salesperson yeah. who sent me that email. Click, right? So we want to almost catch them off guard. Yeah. Um, so we tried to stay away from email. Now, I know in other more enterprise-level sales or other types of decision makers, email can be a very effective tool. That being said, I find it only to be more effective because of its volume, not because it's actually better at getting someone on the phone. Awesome. And... I guess one more medium, voicemail. How do you get them to call you back? Yeah, so voicemail and really it gets back to yeah. the thing that you're do trying you, to do. Let's say, yeah, let's say you've, you know, you've connected with them before and you say, and you've, you've talked to them once, but now you're calling them back again. You're oh, like leaving them a voicemail. So interesting. So, so if we were calling them back, we might not leave a voicemail okay. we, until the end of the day yeah. um, or our last phone call in the series or whatever we want to do. And the reason being is if I leave you a voicemail, that limits my next options going forward, Got right? It. Because yeah. now if I call you back, if you answer, that's Why kind of awkward, right? right? Like I got your, I obviously got your voicemail, and if you don't, what am I going to do? Leave another voicemail? So once you leave someone a voicemail, you put the ball in their court because the assumption is once they get the, if voicemail, they want to call you back, they'll call. They you will back. call you back. Yeah. But if I never leave a voicemail, then I can just call again and be like, oh yeah, sorry, like want to make sure I caught you, um, and you keep the ball in your court. And you can, you know, one thing I think that's so important with all sales, enterprise or otherwise, is you can do anything you want as long as you set the proper expectations. So the example we use um, in training is if I tell you I'm going to punch you in the face in three seconds and I count down three, two, one, if I make a fist and I swing at you and you don't move your face, 
That's on you. That's not on me. I told you exactly what I was going to do, right? So when I call someone up and I'm trying to get them on the phone and the receptionist answers and he or she says, oh, they're not available. And I say, okay, well, do you know when they're going to be back? When they're like, I'm not sure. I've got a couple different options there. And the option I'm going to take is by saying, uh, oh, okay, awesome. So I'll just try back in five minutes. And if I say that and the receptionist is listening, they'll say, oh, no, 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 no. They're not going to be here in five minutes. Oh, Okay, so sounds sounds like we do know a little bit now. So again, you just have to set those proper expectations and and then anything is possible. Awesome. Uh, Well, I think we're running up out of time. We've got about a couple minutes left. And I would just like you to share something that you took you a while to learn on the job that you think others listening to this podcast could benefit from. Something that was like an aha moment or... Or similar. Sure. So, you know, one of the things that I see a lot, um, again, I'm a huge believer in positive psychology. Um, The Happiness Advantage is a TED Talk by this guy, Sean Aker. I'd highly recommend everyone check it out. Um, But most people think that they're, they go through life thinking that they're at effect, uh, excuse me, they're at um, effect of everything that happens to them. Uh, You know, woe is me. This is happening. There's nothing I can do. But it turns out we're all at cause of every single thing that happens. And it can be really difficult to feel that way sometimes in sales because there's, you know, it's very difficult. You need to get someone else to agree with whatever it is that you want to do. But at the end of the day, just remember that you're the one in control. You can always pick up the phone and make another phone call. You can always send one more email. You can always use your words to convince someone that this is right. And you can always, you know, be aggressive because if what you have is worth it and if you believe in it, then get after it and tell people that. Because at the end of the day, even if you have to twist their arm to give your service a shot, if it's really a valuable service, they're gonna be better off, you're gonna be better off, and everyone's gonna be better off. So um, I think some people don't feel that way and feel like they're helpless or they get rejected over and over again and they wanna change what they do. But you have to recognize that it's part of the game. You have to execute the play. You have to trust the process that you make. You have to trust the process that's passed down to you if you're a salesperson listening to this. And if you do all of those things, you can put yourself in a position where you're going to succeed. And, uh, you know, wherever you can, just remember that you're the one in control. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show.